We have uh, questions for our response time. They're all three easy questions, and uh, you should have no, no difficulty whatsoever in responding to these. Um, and just in case, I will uh, provide the answers uh, throughout, the, throughout the message. So if, uh, if you pay attention, you'll be able to get an A at the end. <coughs> the uh, brother, brother Kenny will be, will be leading that, uh, that time, and he don't give out A's too easy at all. It's, uh, uh, be prepared. Last week, we heard Jesus telling his followers that he was going to be killed. We read from Luke chapter 18, verse 31 and following. I'll remind you this morning. Taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did, they did not grasp what, he, what was said. Today we, we jump ahead in the chain of events. They find themselves now in Jerusalem. They have celebrated the Passover in the upper room where Jesus had designated that they should do. Jesus has washed their feet. Jesus has told them that he would be betrayed by one of them. Jesus tells them that he is going away and they cannot follow. In the room on this night, the mood is somber. They still don't understand. Where is Jesus going? Why is Jesus going? Why can't they go too? Have they disappointed him? Have they failed him? Fear. Fear of the unknown. Helpless, hopeless. Jesus has told them numerous times what is in store for him in the coming days. As a matter of fact, Jesus is telling them this night what is coming for him the very next day. Jesus has repeatedly during the, the time of, of his teaching with them, Jesus has repeatedly referred to the prophecies that had been and would be fulfilled in him. Jesus was a Bible scholar. He had graduated from synagogue school magna cum laude. He knew the Bible. Jesus knew the law. Jesus knew the history. Jesus knew the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus was very familiar with Psalm 22. 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. He knew the whole psalm. He knew the description of crucifixion that follows. Jesus knew very specifically what the day held in store. Jesus knew Isaiah 53. I have a a great suspicion that Jesus had memorized Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was not only confronted with the truth of the physical torture that he was about to endure, but he is also fully aware of the burden of the guilt of sin that was to be his. It's a tough night. Things are looking hard. Knowing, knowing all that would occur in the hours ahead, Jesus looks to his followers, not that they would console him, but that he might console them to speak help to speak hope into the hearts of those whom he loved so dearly. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A lot of things have to occur. A lot of things have to happen for Jesus to accomplish what he promised. Arrest, a mock trial, scourging, crucifixion. 
death, burial, resurrection, ascension, entering into heaven. All these must occur. All these we know have occurred just as he said they would. Just as all that he said will in fact occur. All that he has said came to pass. All that he has said will come to pass. Those who believe in God, those who believe in Jesus, are trusting His Word, awaiting His return, patiently, anxiously, looking for Him to appear. Now, if you were to ask me how to get to Ben, Ben's dad's house, I could generally tell you, go up around Commerce somewhere, and it's up there somewhere. I might tell you that, that I thought Dwight would welcome you, but I couldn't tell you that for certain. I might tell you that I thought he would put you up, but you should know that that would only be a guess. When Jesus says, in my Father's house, what Jesus says is a promise for certain. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no speculation, no uncertainty, no guesswork. This is the absolute truth. Seen now, as we see through the, the lens of history, we know that Jesus was crucified. We know that he was resurrected. He did ascend to the Father. And we have every confidence that he will, as he promised, come again and will take those whom the Father has given him to himself, that where he is, there we may be also. I appreciate y'all not jumping up and shouting right there. Would might be disruptive. But I don't know how you did it. When Paul was preaching to the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, 31, we have it recorded of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What is it? that we have assurance? What is it that is so certain? What is it in which we can have every confidence? In His Father's house. You believe in God, Jesus says. Believe in me. In my Father's house. Jesus Jesus is speaking to those frightened, discouraged, disappointed, hopeless individuals. And he reaches right into their lives. And he says, in, in my father's house, 
the, the dwelling place of God is what we're going to talk about here, where God lives. Now, when you speak of your father's house, and particularly in this, that age, you're talking about a place that he owns. It's his. We live in, a, in an age of mortgage. Yeah. That outfit in California owns a whole lot more of our house than we do. I don't know why they didn't come out and put a roof on it. So. <laughs> And, uh, and, and y'all, do y'all know that uh, all this mortgage thing really came into existence during uh, FDR's, uh, what did he call it, New Deal? Was that, that was the Green New Deal, was it? No, no it was New Deal. And uh, he started the whole, uh, whole mortgage industry, uh, various laws and banking regulations. Uh, before that, before that, very, very rare did, did normal people uh, have to, I mean, get a mortgage to buy their house. Uh, so anyhow, so the, the point being, when Jesus speaks of, of my father's house, he, he's talking about the dwelling place of God, where God lives, a, a place that's owned by God. It's his residence. It's the place where God is present. Now, this may seem very obvious to us this morning, but let me assure you that such is not the case for many. But as we embrace this this idea, this reality of, of Jesus speaking of his Father's house, the dwelling place of God, Jesus says, there he will prepare a place. Among those many rooms, Jesus prepares one for those he will come and get and take to live with him in his father's house. Ultimately, in God's own time, there will be a, a new dwelling place for God. Unless, unless you think I'm making too much of a point of this, look at Revelation 21, where we're told, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Then in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon or shine to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The dwelling place of God will be with man. 
with us. He will dwell with us. He will live with us. He will reside with us. He will be with us. And we shall be with him. God's purpose, God's goal, God's work. And if you ever wonder about it, throughout Scripture, <coughs> excuse me, all that God was doing was to accomplish this end, this purpose. When God says, and they will be my people and I will be their God. That is what God is working toward. And he always says it in that, that twofold way. That relationship that, that goes both ways. Jesus, Jesus speaks of being with his people, his people being with him, always, in every case, the outcome of God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ is gathering his people his people at home, his people at his house. Boy, there's, there's just a fantastic, marvelously wonderful image there. His people gathered with him at his house, living with him, living in the joy of his glory. Well, you say, I want to know more. What's it going to be like? Beloved, John writes, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Enough said. Now, there's a lot of foolishness that circulated about the idea of heaven, God's home, place. A lot of foolishness, a lot of jokes. Some of them kind of funny. Can't remember any right now. I guess they're not real memorable kind of jokes. But, of course, you've always got uh, St. Peter at the Golden Gates. Got to check in with him. No. The whole picture that we become angels, wings, harps, clouds. No. The intellectual elites of our world laugh at heaven. They will poke fun at you when you talk about heaven, when you talk about God's house, when you talk about being with Jesus, to be like him in eternity. They find that to be humorous, country bumpkinish. 
unbelievers. Unbelievers find no comfort in the promises of Christ. You believe in God, believe in me, Jesus says. But if you don't believe, you shut down, you back off. This, this don't apply. This don't apply to you. There's no comfort here, no consolation, no encouragement. An unbeliever finds no value in any of this. But it is to those who believe, those who accept, those who by faith recognize the truth, recognize the reality. We have a real problem with reality in this world, especially in this scientific age, where truly if it's not scientifically demonstrated, then it's, it's, it's just not real. But you know the Bible, the Bible sets before us a, a reality of the dwelling place of God, the reality of heaven. For there are three instances, no less than three, instances in Scripture of those who ascended bodily into heaven. Hebrews 11.5, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. 2 Kings 2.11, And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And certainly Luke 24, 50, 51, while he blessed him, that is Jesus, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Bill, what are you saying here this morning? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. These three bodily entered into heaven. Enoch, is not buried somewhere. Elijah's bones do not lie in the earth, and the tomb is empty. The angel said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Heaven is real. Eternal life is real. The Word of God is real. We have a, an issue with expecting that only that which is, which is tangible, that which is available to our five physical sense, in fact, come across as, as reality. But be assured all that is tangible, all that is available to these five senses right now, all of that's going to pass away. It's not going to last. One of these days, it's not going to be real. 1 John 2, again, God's Word tells us, do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You believe in God, Jesus says. Believe in me. In our passage this morning from John chapter 14, no less than 11 times in our English version of the text, which is reliable, no less than 11 times Jesus uses a first-person personal pronoun. He says, I, me, my, myself, over and over and over again. Jesus is emphasizing, Jesus is making a point that he is taking personal responsibility for their future. Jesus is speaking, promising, assuring of what he will do. You believe in God? You believe that that God could accomplish these things? You believe that that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, that God has the ability to do all that He would will? If that's the case, if you believe in God, Jesus says, believe in me, I will accomplish all that I have said. Do you believe that Jesus is God. Do you believe Jesus is Emmanuel? God with us. God in the flesh. Grasping this truth. Grasping this truth as it is made known to us through the holy writ of God and the power of His Holy Spirit. Believing that Jesus is God in the flesh will change your life. Darkness becomes light. Fear is now confidence. And faith is reality. The point is Jesus. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. Jesus is all the world to me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know fills my every longing. Oh, I love Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the hope, the promises that come to us by your word. And we thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior. 
Grant to us, O Lord, the faith that we might truly embrace, that we might grasp all that you have set before us, that we might have that hope, that joy, and that your name, the name of Jesus Christ, would be amplified, would be exalted, would be glorified in and through those whom you have called into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.